All right, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, last week we stopped at verse 28, okay? So, we'll pick up with verse 29, and there's a lot to cover, so <clears throat> we'll try to move a little more quickly <laughs> than we've been moving, but we'll also just... Uh, take our time to meditate on what's important too, okay? So, we'll pick up with the next day whenever John continues to point to him as, as the Lamb of God and what that really means, okay? So, in verse 29, he says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that, I, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Okay? So, John points to Christ as the Lamb of God. Okay? It says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now this is a very interesting transition from what the first section of this chapter was really all about. Because we were talking about Christ as the Logos, right? And His divinity. And the significance of Him as the author of life and how... He is God in the flesh, right? And so, the very next picture that we see of Christ is the Lamb of God. So there's this very drastic transition from this lofty idea of Christ and how He is the Logos to the Lamb of God. Okay? In a sense, the Logos is the Word, the one who is the Dabar Yahweh, the, the activity of God. And now we see almost a completely opposite picture. Totally opposite. What do you think of when the Lamb of God comes to mind? Do you think of like a powerful creature? You think of the cross, you think of salvation, but think of just a lamb in general. Right? Like you don't get the sense of an authority. You don't get the sense of a creator. Right? You get it's like a helpless creature, right? And so he immediately transitions from this lofty idea, this high uh, divinity to Christ as the lamb. And so this moves us to what makes God, God? Like, what makes Him the Creator, the Logos, is that He comes as the Lamb. Okay? So the Lamb is entirely passive, entirely silent. We even say in, in Isaiah, as a Lamb led to the slaughter, He what? He opened not His mouth. Right? That's the exact opposite of the Word. The Word is spoken, the Logos, right? The activity of God. And now you see this passive aspect, right? And so we go from this, this uh, authoritative picture to this submissive picture, okay? So in a sense from power to weakness. And this, this is the paradox behind this section, okay? The active or spoken word to the passive or silent work of God, Okay? All right, now, how does the Lamb take away the sins of the world? 
What does it mean to say like, that the Lamb takes away the sin of the world? Okay, so think of the fall. Okay? What happened when Adam and Eve fell? Like, how did they feel? What's the first thing that they noticed? Shame. Okay, why did they sense shame? Yeah, they, they discovered themselves. They noticed they were naked. They were exposed. Okay, so that humiliated them. Right? There was a sense of shame. This nakedness was a matter of exposure. Like, they had nothing to cover them. Okay? So, if you remember what God did whenever He wanted to cover Adam and Eve, right? Like He saw how they tried to put these fig leaves on, and you know, to God, that was like, okay, like A for effort, like, <laughs> you know, that's not really going to get the job done, okay? So what did he do? Good. He took the skin of an animal to cover them. He clothed them. He clothed their nakedness. What the fathers tell us, the two says a figure of Christ, who is the lamb that is slain. So he covered them by clothing them with his own skin, with his own robe. Okay? So this points to the lamb that is slain that takes away the sins of the world from the very beginning. Okay, from the beginning of the story. We see the, that Christ is the lamb who takes away the sin, takes away this shame by covering them with his own robe of righteousness. Okay? And ironically, like this is what Adam calls the lamb whenever he's naming all of the animals. So in Hebrew, the word for lamb is talitha, which literally means he who covers me. So in a very profound way, God was pointing to this all along. Okay, Everything in creation, all the physical matter in, in, in the world was pointing to God. But in this specific incident, naming the lamb was, was prophetic. It had a, a, a profound meaning behind it. Okay? All right, now, we know that this is not just like evident in the beginning of Christ's ministry. Like the fact that he's presented as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world isn't just exclusive to the beginning of his ministry. Like as a matter of fact, this is the beginning and the end. Like the entirety of God's ministry is to take away our sins by covering us, by covering our shame. And this is exactly what he did on the cross. Okay, so the lamb was slain on the cross, naked, so that he can clothe us. Okay, so from beginning to end, you see that God is clothing us. God is covering us, taking away our sins by removing our shame. And He does that by clothing us with Himself. Okay, any comments or questions about that? <laughs> hmm. Oh, how did Adam and Eve sense shame? Because it's, it's, it's a figurative sense. So they were naked all along. But sin causes shame. When, when you fall away from God, you lose the dignity that God gives you. You lose the confidence that God gives you. And just as the other side of light is darkness, the other side of dignity is shame. Like when you fall away from the hope and love and protection of God, you fall into humiliation and shame. So this is more of an allegorical perspective. That it's not just because all of a sudden they became naked. 
but all of a sudden they lost the grace of God. And that grace is what covers us. Without the grace of God, we're left to our own shame. We see nothing but our sins. We're not covered by His grace and His righteousness. Okay? Alright, so... In addition to the, the identity of Christ as a Lamb of God, St. John is pointing to Christ to present Him to us. Okay, and we, we alluded to the idea that Christ comes to us as the bridegroom last week. Right? I, I shared with you how like the sandal was really more about like your entitlement to the inheritance and all that stuff. And he says, I'm not worthy to loosen the sandal straps of Christ. So, in, in a sense, what St. John is doing here is that he's presenting Christ to us as the bridegroom as well. Because this is happening at a body of water. This is happening where several marriages took place in the Old Testament as well. Okay, so this is what St. Ephraim says. Eliezer had given Rebekah as a bride at the well of water. Jacob did the same for Rachel at the well of water. And so did Moses for Zipporah at the well of water. All of these therefore were types of our Lord who betrothed his church through John's baptism. Just as Eliezer introduced Rebekah to Isaac, his master, when he came to meet her in this field, so too John the Baptist introduced a Redeemer from the Jordan, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? So just as all of these encounters were events of marriages, right? and in a more specific way, Eliezer introduced Rebekah to Isaac, like he goes to bring the two together. So John goes to bring the two together as well. John is bringing the bridegroom to humanity. Okay, so he's presenting Christ as the bridegroom for us. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in chapter 4 as well. Okay, you guys know what happens in chapter 4? <laughs> What's that? That's, uh, that's in the very next chapter. That's chapter 2. Chapter 4 is when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Right? And all of the fathers interpret this as this divine wedding. Okay? So, St. John Chrysostom explains this in a different way. He says, just like in a marriage, the bride doesn't go to the bridegroom. right? So the bride isn't the one that goes to the bridegroom. Rather, he hurries to her, even if he's a king's son and is about to marry some poor and pathetic person or even a servant. This is what was happening here. Human nature didn't go up, but contemptible and poor as it was, Christ came to our human nature. And when the marriage had taken place, he no longer continued waiting. Instead, once he had taken the bride to himself, he then took her to the house of his father. How beautiful is that? So you see the sense that it's always the bridegroom that hurries to the bride. So this is what Christ does here. He doesn't wait for the bride to come to him. And he doesn't stop there. He takes the bride back to his chamber in a sense that Christ takes humanity back to the Father and reconciles us with the Father so we can have a relationship with the Father. Okay? Any comments, questions before we jump into the next section? Okay. So, notice in verse 31, also in verse 33, this happens twice, that St. John says, I did not know him. Okay? What does that mean? Because his, I mean, you would expect John to know who he is. But in a real sense, John 
was out in the wilderness. He was off on his own. He was inspired to bow down to Christ whenever Elizabeth met St. Mary. But besides that, like he didn't have a, a previous conversation with him. He had no bias. He had no personal agenda to talk to us about Christ. So what he's telling us here is that the only way that he really came to know him wasn't through his own work, but through the revelation of God. He's saying, like, I didn't know him. It wasn't me. It wasn't my own work. It wasn't because of what I studied. The only way that I know him is by divine revelation. Okay? So, I'll share with you a few verses and this will all come together. He says, in Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and so on. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my Christ, the one in whom my soul delights, I have put my Spirit upon him. Okay, in Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. Okay, so throughout the scriptures, the, the concept of God testifying of His own Son by the Spirit of God resting upon His Son was was a matter of divine revelation. Okay? So, this tells us that what John is declaring isn't like his own personal bias. Like, he's revealing to us what God communicated to him. This is a matter of divine revelation. Okay? So, pretty straightforward. That's why he says, I, I didn't know him. Right? So, I'm not coming to you with a personal agenda. It's not my own bias. It's what God himself revealed. He told me the one that my spirit descends upon is the Christ. He is the one whom I have anointed. Alright? Comments or questions there? Good. Alright, now, he says, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. This is John's agenda. Okay, this is his objective. Okay, like, what's the purpose of his work? So that Christ should be revealed. This is precisely why he baptized with water. Okay, that he should be revealed to Israel. So if you think of baptism at its basic level, what does it do? Hmm? It's a new birth. Good. So you put to death the old man, and the new man is born. Okay? So there's a renewal. Okay? In a sense, you're cleansed by washing away the old. Right? So this is what water does. Okay? Water cleanses. It purifies. Uh, we even say that baptism is the sacrament of illumination, because we're illumined by this new birth. So, this baptism of repentance, baptism of water, allows us to perceive Christ. Okay? And that's why he says, I baptized with water so that he should be revealed. Because once I help people to repent, once they're cleansed, once they wipe away all the dirt that's obscuring their vision, who are they going to see? The truth, the light. You'll see Christ himself. Okay? So my work is just to get rid of the dirt. That's why this baptism of water prepared us for the one who will baptize us with the Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. In verse 32... 
says, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Again, this was the divine revelation. But what's the significance of the dove? Perfect. Brings us back to Noah. Okay, and the dove brought back an olive branch. Right, we say that it's a symbol of peace. But what was in the sky at this point? The rainbow, right? And, and like, sorry, newsflash, it's not gay pride. Like, the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. Okay, that was what it is all about, okay? That tells us there is new life. That tells us that the flood washed away the old and gives birth to the new. And so the dove comes at this time with the olive branch giving us peace through this new life, okay? That, that's what was embodied by the presence of the dove. Okay, this concept of baptism, that's what we think of the flood. Okay, it was to foreshadow the baptism that will come now. Okay, and the, the Spirit declares that to us through the presence of the dove. Okay, so we think of the peace and the unity that the Spirit brings to the church. Okay? And again, this all happens through the new covenant. Okay? And, and, and that's why it's so important to think of the rainbow, which is the symbol of the new covenant. Right now, Christ comes to give us the new birth. He's the one who will baptize us with the Spirit. Not the symbols from the Old Testament. Like the Lamb of God, He is the true Lamb, like capital L Lamb, with an article, the Lamb. Not one of the many lambs that were slain before that points to the true Lamb that will come later. Okay? So, this whole theme is all about new life. Okay? So we're revived, or we're renewed, and we're given this new life, by the Spirit. And that's why the dove comes upon Christ. Okay? You think of how God creates man and saves man. It's always through the work of the Trinity. And I was just talking about this concept a little bit earlier. But the Spirit is the one who sanctifies us and revives us. Okay? Now, we need to receive the Spirit. We need to be renewed. But Christ has the Spirit. Right? Christ is God by nature. So, why is He baptized? To give us an example... At a basic level, that's a very good answer. But let's dig a little bit deeper. At a basic level, that's another very good answer. So, this was prophesied, but think of the prophecies coming because this would happen, not he did this because it was prophesied. Okay? Okay, so in a sense, this reveals Christ as the Son of God. That's why we call Epiphany the Revelation or Theophany, the manifestation of God. Okay, we see the Trinity when the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And the Spirit uh, coming in the likeness, the Spirit coming in the likeness of the dove, and 
Christ is present. What else? Yes, Sam. Perfect. Everybody catch that? Okay. That right there is the essence of the whole matter. Okay, let's, let's take a look at how St. Cyril explains it, and then we can elaborate a little more. He says, The one who sent John told him that the Spirit would remain on the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which had departed from humanity at the fall is now restored through Christ in whose perfect nature the Spirit can abide. Okay, We have to remember that Christ is fully God and fully man. And so we have to always consider His progression through life as a perfect human being and, and truly developing according to the, the economy that's required. All of the steps that a perfect person would take. And so that's why he fasts. That's why he prays. And that's why, as a man, he needs the Spirit. Okay? Not because he's lacking, but he goes through the course of human progression without any shortcuts, without cutting corners, okay? And in doing so, as a man, he, he united himself to humanity. So when he receives the Spirit, who receives the Spirit? Humanity. humanity. Does that make sense? So you think of everything that Christ did applying to us. When, when he fasts and receives the grace that comes from fasting, who fasts and receives the grace of fasting? We do. When he prays, he's inscribing prayer into humanity. Okay, he's wiring humanity to have a predisposition to prayer. Does that make sense? So when he's interacting, when he's loving, when he is forgiving, he is inscribing that into the nature of humanity. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, and this is why it's so important to preserve that union of the humanity and the divinity because everything that he does in himself is ascribed to us. It's translated to us. Okay? Now, Moving on to the end of this section. In verse 34, it says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Okay? And so, the testimony of John points to the natural sonship of Christ. This is the Son of God. Right? So, we become sons by adoption. Like we're adopted into God's family. But Christ is the Son of God by nature. Okay? So that's why He naturally baptizes, baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Because He's God by nature. Okay? The Spirit belongs to Him by nature. Okay? So... That's why he has the ability to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Keep in mind too, like a minor distinction is that when, when we say that he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, we're not saying that baptism gives us the Holy Spirit. Because baptism doesn't give us the Holy Spirit. Okay? See a lot of blank faces. 
What's baptism? The new birth. Okay? Think of like an old, dirty vessel. It's washed and nice, clean, empty. Okay? Baptism is this renewal. Okay, so that's why in, in Romans, I think, 6, 4, don't mark my words, but he says that in as, much, in as many of you as been baptized, you have been baptized into his death and buried with Christ. Okay? And so, like, baptism is the death of the old man and the birth of the new man. We receive the Spirit through chrismation. Through the holy Myrun. And before it was through the laying of the hands. Okay? But uh, when Christianity started to spread and rapidly grow, instead of the bishops having to uh, conduct a sacrament for thousands of people, they did that over the oil and gave it to the priests so the priests could also anoint people with the oil and because it had received the grace of the Spirit through the laying of the hands of the apostles. And if you read Acts, it's very clear. Okay, without getting into that tangent right now, but it's, this distinction is very clear. But he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit to mean that it's the Spirit who puts to death the old man and gives birth to the new man. You're like, so think about what that means spiritually. A lot of times, we, we try to quit our old bad habits. We try to put to death the old man, and we're doing it by our own efforts. Like, we're trying to work harder. But the reality of this is to say, it's God who puts to death the old man. We can't crucify the ego by our own effort. So, our self is not in the business of suicide. Like, we can't put the ego to death by the work of the self. Okay, because that's just the self committing suicide. Like, we can't do that. Only God can do that. The Spirit is the one who crucifies the ego. That's why the way to put to death the old man is to submit to God's work. And to say, God, you can eliminate these habits that I'm struggling with. You can, um, like, bury these sins. You can put to death the old man. I can't buy my own work. I need you. Okay? Comments or questions there? Yes, George. So why would he say baptized? That being baptized is the of the Holy Spirit? That's not what they intended. Or, does, or do we believe that Jesus baptizes the Holy Spirit, but when we baptize, we can only give the new man? Like, why would it say that? Yeah. No, so he's saying to baptize with the Holy Spirit because it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit is putting to death the old man and giving birth to the new man. Right? But, but in the next sacrament, which is the chrismation. Does that make sense? And so, so the Holy Spirit can't reside in a dirty place. Right? So what, what the Spirit does is like first to prepare a place for his residence, right? And that's why baptism is, is essential, right? And then once we receive the Spirit, we come to take communion so that Christ can reside in us as well, okay? Yes. Well, we, we say that, that we have to be cautious lest we quench the Spirit. And so whenever we stray from God, we quench His work. Like, you know, whenever you quench a fire, you just 
put some dirt or water on it. That's what happens when we're not fueling the spirit within us. And we fuel the spirit by things like this. Like when you walk out of Bible study, like you feel full, energized, like like you want to serve, you want to pray more, right? But when you're sitting at home, like strolling through, through social media all day and watching Netflix all day, you quench the spirit. He's no longer active in your life. Like it's a drag to get to church. It's a drag to serve or to show love, right? But he never leaves. He's just, I guess, inactivated by our laziness. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Any other comments, questions? Back to your point. Same, same thing happened here with Jesus when he went to the water. The Holy Spirit was not at work now. When he came out of the water, the, the dove came up upon him and he received the, uh, the Holy Spirit. I mean, not the sheep, but the. Yeah. So the same thing as the priest when he went to my room. Exactly. 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 If you remember too, I, I'm I'm not going to get into all the examples in Acts, but if you stroll through Acts, this is made explicitly clear. Like whenever Philip goes to Samaria and um, the, the people believe, and he baptizes them, right? But he has to call Peter and John to come and lay their hands on them because, and he says, because they have yet to receive the Spirit. Right? And the same case with Cornelius a little bit later. But I just, I, I, I want you to understand the, the basic concept of God's work to first put to death the old man and bring to life the, old, the new man so that there is a fitting place for the residence of God. Okay? And, and all of that is the work of God because he's the one that puts death the old man and the new man and he's the one who fills us by his own work. Okay? But we just have to make our hearts prepared for him. Yes? Yes. Instead of just going through life, like, oh, yes. maybe I'm going to commit a lot of yeah. sins, and maybe if I get baptized when I'm an adult, yes. be aware of what's yeah. happening. There, there was actually a trend in the early church when they would wait to the point of their death to be baptized. Not only when you're aware, but whenever, like, you're not going to ruin your baptism for long so that, like, <laughs> you're good to go before your judgment, right? So, obviously, there's not much of a case to make with that, but you can make a case to what you're saying about having a sense of awareness so that what you're receiving can really come to life, right? But I would challenge that by by posing a simple question. Is our understanding what limits the work of the Spirit? Okay. Does the Spirit work more or less based on how much you understand about the, the Spirit's work? Okay. It's not going to work because I don't know what, I don't want to say but yeah in my head it's not going to work as effective as if I am fully aware or give the spirit the opportunity to work. Okay. That right there is absolutely true. Okay? And that's why as we grow we need to activate the work of the spirit by increasing in our understanding by learning about God's presence in our life and the way he works by reading the scriptures and, and that 
activates the work of the Spirit. He, he becomes more alive in us. But that's not to say that our lack of understanding makes the Spirit incapable of working all along. For example, if you have a child that doesn't understand the benefit of going to school, so it's like, why do I have to go to class? Like you wouldn't say, okay, well, I'll wait until you understand the benefit of having a good education for you to go. Right? Or just giving a child vitamins. Like no child, most adults don't even know the physiology behind vitamins, <laughs> how they really work in your body, let alone a child. But you don't say, like, I'm going to wait for you to understand how your body absorbs vitamin C and this and that. So you just give the child vitamins without your understanding, but you know it'll work in one way or another, right? So this, that's why we baptize our children, because the Spirit will work, but to some extent, right? We can't go throughout our whole life whenever we have the maturity to understand God, without opening our hearts to Him and then expect that the Spirit is going to be active, right? And, and I, would, I would suggest that because a child is incapable of like really grasping God's work, like God is more gracious. So He works in an infant in, in, with no limitations, Right? But an adult that should know is held to a different uh, requirement or a different standard. Okay? So as we grow, we're required to fuel the Spirit more and more and more. Does that make sense? What does the father do? Like, did he ever baptize? Uh, like, what did that uh, Yeah, so whenever that trend like was gaining some traction in the church the fathers were adamantly opposed to it yeah well there was a phase when we struggled with it but when you really understand that the work of God is not limited by our understanding you say okay just give me the spirit as soon as possible right like give my child as much vitamins as possible and then hopefully he grows and really understands what he's receiving and then he can um, have a real relationship with God and, and grasp the grace that he has. Okay? And, and unless that happens, you really don't activate God's work in your life. So what you're saying is true about like, how you need to put it, to motion, put it into motion. Okay? That's okay. Yes. So the silly part is why aren't we baptizing first weekly in order to get cleansed, in order to receive the body and blood? So is it like one time for for all cleansing? Like Yeah. Even so though, even though like what Sammy says we're always yeah. freeing ourselves up. Yeah. That, there was also a time when people wanted to be literally baptized again to like renew their baptism. That's why in Ephesians we say we believe in one Lord uh, and one baptism, right? At the end of that little section in, in the first hour of Igbeya, right? We believe in one baptism. And that's because the grace of the Spirit is renewed by our repentance, okay? So, so to say that we don't need another baptism is actually a declaration of our faith in the potency of the Spirit, Right? Like, we don't need to be rebaptized because nothing that we can do can alienate God from us. We've already been filled with Him. We need to just repent. And that becomes our second baptism. Right? Like, St. John Climacus says the tears of repentance are greater than the waters of baptism. And, and in a sense, what we're saying is nothing can. Um, eliminate 
that grace regardless of how far we strayed. So we don't need to be rebaptized because he's always with us. Even if we turn our back on him, all we need to do is just turn around and and repent, and he's there. We don't need to be rebaptized. We need to repent, which is ironically a rebaptism. Any other comments or questions? Okay, we're good. Um, you know, not getting as far as I wanted. But we're good. I like uh, I like when it's more dynamic and interactive. Trust me. Just don't beat me up whenever we only finish three chapters, uh, three verses. <laughs> All right. So moving right along into the next section from verses 35 to 39. Again, the next day, and, and by the way, keep in mind as we read through this section that he's not talking about literal 24-hour periods. Because we spoke about these connecting to the six days of creation. Right? So these are just periods. Because Jesus got baptized. He went to fast and pray in the wilderness for 40 days. So this isn't technically like the next 24-hour period. Okay? So again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Okay. So, Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. This isn't the first time that St. John the Baptist saw Christ. Okay? If you remember, in verse 29, St. John the Evangelist talks about St. John the Baptist noticing Christ, noticing the Lamb of God. But in verse 29, he simply says, he saw Jesus. Okay? Now he says, and looking at Jesus. He says it in a very different way. Okay? It's subtle, but it's very different. In verse 29, the Greek is vlepe. Okay? It's more of like noticing. When he saw Jesus, he noticed Jesus. He noticed the Lamb of God. But here... You have the same root of this Greek word, vlepe, but it's emvlepsas. So it's actually to imply more of a gaze, right? It's more of this intent look, like looking at someone with a fixated gaze, right? And so this, this whole focus, looking at Jesus, was more than just noticing Jesus. It's more of like observing intently. And what he was observing is something like of utmost significance. What was he looking at? Looking at Jesus as he what? As he walked. Right? Now, does this just mean, like, the way he was strolling along? Like, you know, you put your right foot in front of your left foot and you walk along? What does this mean when, when you talk about, like, the way you walk? Right, like, like you, you walk the walk or you talk the talk. What does that really mean? His attitude, right? Uh, maybe his mindset, Right? It's the way he lived. Like, when you talk about the way someone walks, it's the way someone lives. Like, how you walk through life, right? You're not talking about, like, a literal stroll through the park. You're talking about 
your mindset. And so right here, it points to how we should observe the character of Christ, right? And we do that with an intent gaze, right? We truly observe. And, and in a sense, that's what we're doing here, right? Like, what do you do when you read the scriptures? You're looking at the way Christ walked. And, and that's what teaches you. That's what fills your heart. That's what edifies you, okay? Father Tadros Melati says, we're in great need to look and see Jesus. We need to look to Him in order to see Him looking at us and concerned with our redemption. And I think a lot of times, like, that's more than enough to solve all our problems, to just stop focusing on all of the issues in our life and to just look at Jesus. Okay? That gives us all of our answers. Okay, you see this whenever Peter was walking on the water. He takes his eyes off Christ and notices the storm and he starts to sink. Okay, when, when we're looking at Jesus, we find salvation. Okay, and this just came to mind right now when, in the wilderness. Whenever Moses puts the serpent up on the pole, how were they saved? Was it whenever they went to touch the serpent? Or maybe when they prostrated themselves in front of the serpent? Oh, simply when they looked at it. And everyone who was bitten by serpents was healed. And, and, and in, in a literal sense, we need to actually pause and look at Him. L- look at an icon of Christ for a few minutes and pray. Allow Him to speak to you. Observe the way that He lived whenever you read the Scriptures. And that sanctifies us. Okay?